0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon, but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOPod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizers Breakthrough Magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for powering over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. It has been estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. Often people don't recognize that there are at least seven types of magnesium. Most magnesium supplements contain one or two forms of these seven types. Bioptimizers has formulated their magnesium supplement to contain all seven forms of magnesium. Breakthrough Magnesium has a select packages available for up to 40% off when combined with our custom 10% discount code, which will be activated by entering the coupon code HUMAN10 when you head over to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash HUMAN. All links and codes will be included in the show notes. Now on to the next topic. Ready? All right, folks. Uh, welcome back to Human Performance Outliers podcast. I have uh, a really exciting guest here today, uh, Drew Manning, or some of you may know as uh, the fit to fat to fit guy. Who? Uh, <laughs> what is it, Drew? Has it been about ten years now since you you did that challenge?
1: Almost it's coming up on ten years since I did uh, my first version of
0: fit to fit to fit Nice, yeah, and if I remember right, I, I remember following along a little bit when you when you did that. I think it was like seventy five pounds that you put on uh, and then uh, decided well not decided you decided ahead of time to to challenge yourself to try to lose it and if I remember correctly, you were trying to maybe identify with uh, folks who are struggling to lose weight, trying to lose weight, and kind of better understand like what it feels like to have you know, 75 extra pounds on you and then take it off and get a good understanding or an actual in-person or personal understanding uh, of what that process is like?
1: Yeah, because, you know, here I was, you know, I grew up my entire life in shape. I played football. I wrestled from a very young age, became a trainer in 09. So here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in their life. And then I became a trainer trying to help people who were pretty much, you know, overweight a, a big portion of their lives. And so for me, in my mind, my perspective or my perception of of health and fitness seems so easy. It's like, hey, here's the meal plans. Here's the workouts. I've done this my whole life. It's easy. It should be easy for you. But I had clients who struggled. And I'm like, man, why, why is it so hard just to put down the junk food, be disciplined, go to the gym? Like, it, you know, for me, it's been easy. And so that's when I did Fit, Fit, Fit back in 2011. Going into it, I was like, you know what? Maybe... This would give me a better understanding. I know it's it's risky. It's crazy. It's it's something that not a lot of people would be willing to do. But I was like, I almost felt called to do it when the thought of doing this entered my mind. It was like one of those moments in my life where I really felt called to do something like this, even though it sounds crazy. And so that's you know I just kind of uh, I kind of ran with it and got very lucky. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I didn't have a marketing strategy or a PR team helping me get on all these TV shows, but it kind of went viral. And I went on like Jay Leno and Dr. Oz and Good Morning America and all these shows and wrote a book, uh, which became became successful. And the book turned into a TV show on A&E called Fit to Fat to Fit, where we put other trainers through this process, because man, I'll be honest with you, man, it was way harder (laughs) than I thought it would be. And it truly humbled me. I think that's what pull people in people loved the relatability factor of what they saw me go through and admit I was wrong in a way, you know, in my approach to health and fitness and getting people to transform, they saw how humbled, how truly humbled I was. And I was like, man, this is way harder than I thought it would be, especially the emotional connection to food that was way more powerful than I ever imagined. Cause for me, I'm like, just be disciplined, like put down the junk food and go to the gym. <laughs> I think it's easy until I did it for six months and then try to eat healthy again. And it was a very, very eye opening uh, process of how hard it was to let go of that food. Mm -hmm. So all in all, it was a, a good thing. I have no regrets, but I learned a lot of valuable lessons from that.
0: Yeah, I know the interesting thing I thought about when I was just kind of reviewing that story, that I kind of pulled away from it. And I'd be interested to hear if you think this is kind of in line with that is one thing I'm always trying to recognize when I'm working with someone for like training for an endurance event is kind of starting at where they're at and Mm. creating these like benchmarks or these goals or these like kind of like mini objectives along the way in route to the end goal so like you know people will oftentimes come come in and look for coaching because you know they've read something motivational saw something motivational and they're like I want to do that and they've got this amazing kind of like grand goal that they're going to try to get to in, in say a year or something like that and And I think that's great, but one thing that oftentimes happens in those scenarios is if that's your only objective is that very end goal, then it can motivate you for like those first three, four weeks, (laughs) you hit like a hiccup or something in the road and, or a bump in the road. And then all of a sudden, like you, you start to that, that incentive for that long-term goal starts to kind of wane a bit to the point where sometimes you fall off altogether and quit your, your, your trajectory or. You get so hung up on trying to get to that big accomplishment that you try to do way more than you're ready for early on and make mistakes and develop bad habits actually versus good long-lasting consistent sustainable habits and that's always kind of like a fun part for me to to help someone walk through that process like okay like maybe you want to run an ultra marathon in a year uh, and you've never run before Let's, Mm -hmm. let's start from square one and get you kind of just build the foundation, put the skill sets, get the habits, all that stuff along the way. Let's identify things we're going to target from a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, and just really get, get that dialed in. Is that kind of, was that, did that resonate with you along the course of that journey? Kind of having yourself in this position you have never been before and having to walk your way back down to where you were, you were originally in terms of kind of staying motivated along the way?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think the problem is that our society is a, you know, instant gratification type of society where we, we don't want to like have to wait a year to get the results. Like we want to put in a couple of weeks or maybe a month, months worth of, of, of work to get those results. And like you said, if they hit a hiccup or it gets too hard, then they, they kind of give up because they think, man, this is taking forever for minimum results. I'm putting in all this effort. So why am I trying so hard? And that's kind of how a lot of people go through their weight loss journey of, man, I want to get this body that I see on Instagram. (laughs) So I'm going to do the work, diet, exercise, all that stuff they know they're supposed to do, but the progress is slow. And they they focus so much on the results that they, they kind of hate the process. They're like, look, I'm going to do this process and be willing to put up with it. But if I don't get those results in a certain amount of time, then the process kind of uh, you know, falls apart, and they're like, it's not worth putting in all the effort. When in reality, if you could just learn to fall in love with the process, the results kind of take care of themselves over time. So for me, it was really humbling, kind of in a way coming down off my mountain, you know, I've always been on the top, you know, peak uh, health and fitness my entire life for the, for the most part, to come down off that mountain, be 75 pounds overweight, have an exercise in six months. And that journey up to the top again, was, was so humbling and harder than I thought it would be. And it helped me to gain empathy, which is a big part of my message. And to empathize with someone else, to understand their struggles um, better than you, you can when you're at the top and they're at the bottom, it's hard to have that empathy when, when you're so separated. You've never been on their level. For me, it was, it was such an eye-opener. And I think, like I said, that's what made me at the end of the day more relatable than just your average trainer who you know, has, has, has always been in shape, has led by example. It was just a different approach that, like, like I said, no one's ever really done before. And I don't think everyone needs to do what I did to, to gain empathy. There are other ways to gain empathy, kind of like your strategies as well. Um, but for me, that's what I felt called to do, and it's what worked for me. And that's kind of how I started this whole fit-to-fat-to-fit to to fit movement, if you will, was, was doing that back in 2011, which was almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would also imagine like throughout that process of dropping those 75 pounds, you found yourself, like you said, at points where you needed to find a way to stay motivated and stay on track. And then remi- or, or you, you, you just have that kind of roadmap drawn in your head. So then when you're working with someone who's trying to do something similar they get to that sticking point. They're like, you know, what do I do, Drew? And you probably have like a few different tools that you maybe wouldn't have had available to you had you not gone through that experience that you can share with them to help them kind of break through those plateaus and that sort of stuff, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, especially on the mental emotional side. On the physical side, I had lots of tools, you know, with my certification and helping people with macros and calories and diet and exercise and, and supplements and all those physical tools most trainers have. But the mental and emotional stuff is really what I think people struggle with, with transformation. You probably see this as a coach as well. It's it's not so much the physical putting in the work. It's the mental and emotional battles of like, all right, I got to get up at 5 a.m. to get this workout in. My body's telling me I'm so tired or, you know, I had a really stressful day. The last thing I want to do is go run. The last thing I want to do is eat chicken and broccoli i want just pizza (laughs) you know i just want something that's easy that everyone else gets to eat and has these amazing bodies but you know for me i gotta struggle and eat the healthy food and maybe i'll lose a pound a week so that's kind of for me now i have so many more tools on the mental and emotional side which is where people i think really struggle it's not so much a lack of knowledge on the physical side there's a million diets out there there's a million books and a million programs that that we have access to you just push it you know type it in google and it'll pull up for you exactly what you want and exactly how to do it but it's the application of it and it's the those mental and emotional struggles that really for me doing fit to fit back in the day humbled me enough to, to kind of see that side of it for the first time and I'm like oh my gosh this is what I've been missing this is what I had no idea how to tap into because I've never struggled <laughs> I've never been through that experience until I did that and man it was it was really powerful so that's why I have no regrets doing what I did and like I said it was kind of crazy um, but, uh, I think, you know, if you look at, at what happened since then, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been motivated and inspired by that, that unique approach to
0: health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just such a cool story and, and I know you have a lot of content out about that, so I won't use up too much of the show time going through that stuff since folks can easily head over <laughs> to your website and stuff and find out more about that journey if they're unfamiliar with, or you've written a book about it as well, I believe so. Yes. Uh, very good stuff though. I, I also, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about specifically sure. <laughs> more, more recent. And one of them was, I really love this story because not only do I really like it when people decide, okay, I'm like, you know, this is kind of my realm in fitness. I'm like, you know, a bodybuilder, I'm a strength athlete, I'm a power sport, I'm an endurance athlete, all these, all these disciplines that you can kind of get excited about and train and, and try to optimize within but then you get folks every once in a while who decide, okay, I'm going to do something completely different than what I typically would be doing from a fitness standpoint, and just see what this other world is like. Uh, so it's almost like a scenario where rather than getting two kind of in one camp and saying, well, this is my wheelhouse, you know, you losers can go over there run 100 miles, I'm going to lift weights, <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa. Exactly. Uh, and you, so you decided, I think, what is it a uh, the first one was a couple years ago. Yeah. You were going to try to run a hundred miles in less than 24 hours and you were going to do it. Am I right? that If I'm remembering it right, that you were going to do it with very little training originally. Yeah. I think about six weeks I allowed myself to, to train for this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then tell us a little bit about kind of that first run, that first experience went for you. Yeah.
1: So uh, let me kind of back up and tell why I decided to do this. This sure. was kind of stemmed from David Goggins book who I'm sure, you know who David Goggins is and his book can't hurt me really inspired me and my brother motivated us to try something outside our comfort zone. Cause I think a lot of us have these self-limiting beliefs of like, all right, here's my comfort zone outside of that. You know, that seems impossible. Those are those special gifted people. And so for me outside of my self-limiting beliefs was a hundred miles in 24 hours. So me and my brother, (laughs) we we were like, okay, let's let's do a test run. Let's go eight hours and see how far we can get in eight hours. And that's a third of it. And if we can get, you know, 30 plus miles in those eight hours, we should be able to pull this off. So we did it and it was a lot of walking and running. You know, we weren't trying to break any records, but we did the 30 plus miles, but I could barely walk afterwards. It was so, you know, even though I wasn't like running really fast, but then it made me think, okay, if I could do the eight hours, you know, 35 miles or so. I can just, you know, triple that and then get 20, a hundred miles in under 24 hours. And so I was like, well, let's, let's do it in six weeks and see how we do. So we trained for six weeks, just kind of doing, you know, just a lot of running and kind of like, you know, I came up with some, some structured workouts and then, well, uh, you know, with six weeks of training, I went out and attempted it with me and my brother, um, not really know what we were doing. It wasn't an official race. It was just kind of us mapping it on map quest and, and, and having, uh, our, our family like help us <laughs> help us with the, the logistics and we ended up finishing 80 miles in 24 hours so we didn't complete the 100 miles so i didn't really see it as a, a failure necessarily i saw it as wow and man six weeks of training i did 80 miles in under 24 hours like it was hard and like i, I kind of shut down towards and i learned a lot of valuable lessons from that i thought to myself though man what if i actually trained for this hardcore what if i trained you know longer than six weeks is this something I could possibly do? And so even though it was super painful, cause I'm not a runner, like I'm not gifted as a runner. Like my, my VO two max is not, you know, n- anywhere near the, like, you know, the top 10% of, of the elite runners out there. But you know, I had that discipline in me to kind of, okay, s- test my limits. So anyways, uh, that was the first run at it. And 80 miles in 24 hours was for me still like way outside of my self limiting beliefs. So this year I, I uh, trained uh, for about seven months. You know, I, um, I contacted you and got you on my podcast selfishly to pick your brain. <laughs> uh, my friend, Iron Cowboy, he's the guy who did 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. He's in Utah. He's a friend of mine. He helped me train a little bit for it. And then my friend, Michael McKnight, who who you know, he just did 100 miles in 19 hours with no food. <laughs> yeah (laughs) he's a fat adapted athlete so i had access to professionals
0: this time around and to help me train for it Mm -hmm. yeah no i think uh it it is it's interesting to see that because i think like usually what i tell folks is if you're going to kind of jump into an ultra marathon for the first time and you don't have a big like aerobic endurance foundation like six months is kind of a pretty decent timeline to get you there if your goal is to kind of finish and not necessarily run your fastest hundred mile you'll ever will but it'll give you a great point of reference but the the interesting thing when you start getting into events that are that long is you uh you kind of have to you want to try to learn from the mistakes and improve upon them but you also have to sort of forget some of those really low points so you're not overly concerned <laughs> and overly fearful of that and it seems like with ultra marathon runners in general sometimes you'll catch this wave early on where there's a little bit of ignorance is bliss where You don't necessarily know how bad it can get, but once you get a taste of that, if you let that consume you, that can just defeat you, and then people fall out of the sport altogether. Whereas some folks embrace it and kind of learn from it, and then find a different strategy to try to block that out at the right time, or try to plan around it, and 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 kind of rebound. So when I when I when I talked to you earlier when you were deciding to do it again, I was so stoked that you were gonna go after that hundred mile. uh objective and and uh and try it again because you know there's 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 a lot of reason to, to only do one ultra marathon in your life, <laughs> life but it, it gets interesting when you add the second and and yeah yeah Mike is great. He uh he did uh that hundred mile fat fasted. He didn't even um he was so per- he he wanted to make sure it was zero calories. So he went and he like blended his own electrolytes to make sure he didn't get like a a random calorie and like a little like electrolyte tab. Sometimes there's like a couple (laughs) calories in those things. And and he's actually planning on uh, we might have to get him on the show down the road because again, he's been on it once before, but he's trying to, he's going to try to run the Colorado trail. uh, I think uh, from, from Durango up to, to Denver, which is about a 500 mile route that goes through some Epic mountain ranges all the way up, up that. So Wow. He's, he's, uh seems to have an endless amount of uh, energy for these incredibly <laughs> long efforts. <laughs> it's so true. Um,
1: but anyways, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to interject and say something about uh, you and Mike and taking your advice and kind of combining, but we can talk about that when we get into the details of the 100-miler.
0: Sure, yeah, no, and I'd love to hear what Mike shared with you too because I think he's he's such an interesting storyline too because he struggled with weight at one point in his life and he was never really like, a big runner when he was younger and he kind of just fell in love with trail and ultra running uh and just kind of built off of that that excitement and that enjoyment of it to now where he's like the guy when it comes to the 200 plus these freakishly long routes and things like that and uh just the mindset with that and the sleep deprivation i think i, I was just talking to him the other day and he did uh i'm sure you're kind of familiar with that triple crown of i guess it should probably be called 200 plus because all of them are over yeah. 200 miles uh he did uh they some people try to do all three of them and it's essentially like in a couple month time frame. And he's I think he said he slept a total of like maybe in less than an hour over the course of all three of them. That is insane. And <laughs> and, and that's where I think like because I mean the weird thing about ultra marathons is there is such a range. You get like 50 kilometers and you get to what like Mike's doing, and you can be like a great like 80k to hundred mile type runner. And it's not a guarantee that you're going to be good at what something like Mike's doing, because there's also like this big sleep deprivation side of things. There's all sorts of other logistics that you don't necessarily think about when you're just wrecking yourself for one day, uh, when you have to kind of like, you know, go in for another 24 hours after that and add on and add on and that sort of a mindset. So I think Mike probably has some very unique tips for getting through some mental rough spots and challenges and things like that. But yeah. Why don't you share us some of the kind of the tricks and tips you used in that seven month buildup towards that, that hundred miler.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So after interviewing you, I, I saw your strategy of how you fuel yourself during the, the, the hundred miles, which was totally different than, than the way I was approaching it, especially my first run. Um, the, one of the mistakes that I make that, that, that I made that I learned from was the, the food, the, for me, the food, the, the texture of the food, the taste of the food, I brought, you know, boiled potatoes and and salt, which is what Mike recommended. But I got so sick of that after like four or five hours, I, I could not eat another potato after that point. To, and so we didn't have a lot of backup food. It was like a couple snacks here and there. But I just I wasn't hungry, and I, after the last five hours of the race, I didn't eat anything, and my energy levels just slowly tanked, and the the inflammation built up quite a bit to the point where I could. I could, you know, walk really slow at the end. And that's why I I couldn't run anymore. Um, So this time around, I I listened to you uh, or had you on my podcast and listened to your advice of yours is very specific, like X amount of grams of carbohydrates per 45 minutes, something along those lines, you fueled yourself. Um, And I was like, okay. And then it took, and then, then Mike did his fasted race. And I was like, well, maybe if I combine the two. So my goal was to go the first 50 miles with no food this year, and then incorporate kind of your strategy and see how that played out. And I went the first 20 miles, but one of the things I didn't prepare for was the heat here in Utah. It was mid-90s, no clouds in the sky, <laughs> and no shade on the on the trail that we were running. So literally, I was exposed to the sun. We started at 10 a.m., and um, by mile 20, I could feel the symptoms of uh, heat stroke kicking in. I was getting dizzy, nauseous. I couldn't I, could, I wasn't hungry at all, wasn't thirsty at all, and I was like, okay, I need something because I, I know if I continue this, I'm gonna have to tap out. So I chugged a bunch of uh, watermelon at that at mile 20, and I felt like a new a new human. And luckily, we brought in an ice bath, uh, which which saved me because literally every hour or so, I would uh, I was doing a five mile loop, so every about hour or so, I'd do the five miles, come back. Jump in the ice bath for about five minutes, cool off, eat some type of carbohydrate, simple carbohydrate. So usually it was like some type of fruit in the beginning, but then this time around I brought such a wide variety of food. I brought like pop tarts and M and M's and gummy bears and peanut butter sandwiches. And you know I'm mostly a keto guy most of the time. Like I'm I eat pretty pretty uh pretty keto almost all the time except for this. I was like I took your strategy and every hour fueling myself with maybe 10 to 20 grams max of some type of carbohydrate. Um, And then I also use ketone esters, which I don't know if you've ever used before. And I used, um, I think it's called ketone aid. There's Mm -hmm. these little ketone esters. And so what I would do is every hour, I would jump on ice bath, fuel up with some type of carb, you know, just cycle through different things, different textures, different flavors. So I didn't get sick of the food. I never really could eat a lot. like I felt so full after eating just a small handful of food. that's pretty much all I could handle. Um, And then I would take a sip of the ketone uh, esters, which gave me a bump in blood ketone levels. So my glucose would go up and my ketones would go up. And I had those two two dual fuels to fuel me for the next hour or so while I was out in the sun. And then it would cool off in the ice bath. And honestly, that's what saved me from about noon – Until 5 p.m., which is the hottest part of the day, you know, here in Utah, Mm -hmm. I told myself I just have to almost just survive. Like I don't care if my pace slows down because I know that with the heat and everything, if I push myself too hard, get my uh, heart rate up too high, I I won't be able to recover and I'll eventually crash. So I just kind of slowed my pace down quite a bit, you know, um, and I just kind of told myself just survive because I I, I, the first 20 miles I was way ahead of pace. I was kind of like a, a nice easy for me. Like eight to nine minute pace that I could maintain. So I had some time to, um, to tap into. And then around six o'clock when it started cooling off a little bit, that's when I was like, okay, I'm still ahead of pace, you know, and I made it through the hottest part of the day. Now I have some energy stores to be able to pick up the pace throughout the night. So I knew from 6 PM on, um, you know, I was able to pick up the pace slightly and I knew at that moment I was going to finish the race because, um, you know, around this time last year, when I did it, that's when I started to slow down, you know, cause mm-hmm. I was worried about being ahead of pace that whole time. And so this time I definitely slowed my, my, my pace down, you know, during the hottest part of the day, fueled with the, the carbohydrates and the ketones every hour, just a small amount, you know, not a huge bump, mm-hmm. but it was in just enough to get me through the next hour and then kind of re- recover, refresh, if you will, in the ice bath, and then just repeat that. And then throughout the night. You know, I knew that that pace was something I could maintain. It was, you know, probably about 13-minute pace, you know, so it was was walk, run, walk, run. But at that point, I knew it was like if I just stay at this pace, I'll finish. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I finished in under 24 hours. I wasn't trying to break a record or anything. But that was the mindset. That was the mentality I had to have, especially also with those physical tools that I mentioned of refueling every hour to get me through that that hundred miles in under 24 hours and like you said i'm that's not my wheelhouse like that's not my strength this is something i suck at really bad but it's something that i had trained for for the past seven months to be able to do you know doing those back-to-back three-hour runs like on the weekends like three hours on saturday three hours on sunday or sometimes four hours back to back i knew at that point i could push through the pain um to finish uh, in under 24 hours so that's kind of that was my strategy and that was my approach to being able to pull it off um and so and so
0: yeah that's how I did it Mm -hmm. yeah I think there's so much we could talk about with that I think is I think your setup is just perfect though like I the five mile loop I think that's it's long enough that you don't feel like it's too monotonous and it's but it's short enough where like you can just sit there and think like okay, my next objective is to complete this five mile loop. I'm not going to think about that next one until I check the boxes on this one. And that really, that's what I, the other thing I always tell folks is like, when you're looking at a hundred mile race is you want check marks along the way that yes. are going to get you. So you, cause wrapping your head around a hundred miles at mile one is just like overwhelming. Even people have done it over and over again, I think. So having those little, those bench press are great. And the the ice tub is, a was a great idea, I think, because, One mistake I think a lot of times people don't always recognize is when it gets hot like that, if you're just like drinking cool water, you can actually increase your core temperature because the ingestion of cool fluids, there is some research that will show that your body recognizes that cool things coming on internally, that the environment is cold and it should actually increase core temp, which can be obviously you don't want that to happen when you're trying to move in 90 degrees. Yeah. But external cooling, like dumping ice on your head or in the best case scenario, dump, jumping in an ice bath like that, you can bring that core temp down so fast relative to what you would do from any type of in, uh-huh. internal cooling strategies. And I'm sure that paid off quite a bit. And then once the heat broke for the day and you didn't have to jump in that tub anymore, you're probably like, "Yeah, all right, I hit a milestone <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, my breaks became shorter. So each, each hour, each five-mile five loop, my breaks became shorter because I didn't have to do the ice bath anymore.
0: And Mm -hmm. so that's where like my pace started to pick up throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like the, the real small carb interjections, I think are like are such a cool trick for folks who are in the high fat, low carb keto camp because, or, or that type of a strategy, because uh, essentially like one way I like to describe it is you're, you're bringing back something that is going to, is, is a fast acting high kind of intensity fuel source. So it's going to bring that perceived effort down a little bit and when you're someone like yourself who is really good at burning fat, a little bit can go a long race ways. So it's a less about kind of eliminating carbohydrates um, and more about kind of like how what is the kind of minimum dosage, maximum return type of a strategy yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when you think of how much energy you burn in that twenty-four hour period of time compared to what you would do on a normal day, it's not hard <sighs> to imagine that your fat oxidation rates at that level of fueling, we're still probably pushing like, you know, super high levels. Uh, Cause I mean, you were burning way more fat than you would be carbohydrates at, at that point or at that fueling strategy. And um, the way I kind of describe it is no matter who you are, whether you're low carb, no carb, moderate carb, high carb, your goal on race days to defend muscle glycogen. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get some interesting events like what Mike was, what Mike sometimes is doing where you're running at such a low intensity due to the duration that, I mean, he's probably burning 100% fat in some of those, you know, some of those heart rate ranges that he's doing, and he could, in theory, go no carb for something like that. And, and <laughs> perhaps on those longer efforts, not have a, any type of performance deficit from it. Uh, but it's really interesting to, to kind of like play around with that stuff and kind of see, see how different things kind of uh, affect, affect how you feel and how you perform out there with that. But it sounded like you went in with a pretty strong game plan, and it was cool to see that you executed it. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: fortunately it worked, you know, for my brother, he, uh, he, he tapped out at mile 45. He, the heat got to him, you know, and I noticed that he wasn't, um, hydrating as much as, as I was. And, um, and so it did get to him. So for me, I think also the ketones for me made a difference and he's not more, he's not, he's not exactly keto, like I was. And so um, for me, the carbohydrates made a huge difference because it's food I normally don't eat, but my body knows how to use it. Like (laughs) in those situations, my body still knows how to use glucose very effectively, especially in small amounts. Um, And so, yeah, and I did track my calorie burn on my whoop and it was around 14,000 calories under the 24 hour period, uh, which was a lot. And I, I wish I would have weighed myself before and after, because I know Uh, You know, my guess was maybe eight pounds or 10 pounds of water weight Uh, by the end. I was so sucked in dry. Like I was super, I felt super skinny by the end of it because I maybe ate a thousand to 2000 calories max. Like that's it Mm -hmm. in the 24 hour period. And, um, but yeah, I I wish I would have weighed myself to see what the, the weight difference was.
0: Yeah, it's it's just kind of a little little mind-boggling to think about how many different things you could analyze and study over the course of something like that. that yeah, <laughs> it, you got to almost pick a couple and then be happy with that, and not necessarily try to turn it into uh, a laboratory so you can actually get the job done. But <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's also what's exciting about the sport too is I think you know we're we're learning more about like training methodologies, fueling strategies, and things like that as it gets more popular, but. Uh, you know, ultimately part of the fun is just like, there's no lab result or no study that shows what's happening exactly from mile 70 to mile 100. So like you're, you're kind of left with this N equals one type of experiment to a degree where you have to kind of find what's going to work for me versus my friend who did it this way. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so many different strategies you can look at. And I think the fueling one is interesting from this, even a, like you mentioned, just like palate fatigue. So yes if <laughs> you can think like I've done that before too. Uh I did I did a hundred kilometer race back in twenty fourteen where uh-huh. um I was I was high fat, low carb. And I decided on the race day I was gonna just do really small amounts of Mountain Dew and that was all I was gonna do. <laughs> so I did like 150 calories of Mountain Dew per hour, and that's all I had for that 100 kilometer. Just like every hour I'd have a bottle of fluids and it'd be mixed in <laughs> that Mountain Dew. <laughs> so it's just like you you find these little like kind of tricks and and I don't I don't know if that would work for me anymore. That's the other interesting thing about it is like, mm-hmm. um, what works one year doesn't always work the next, and that's sometimes the problem solving side of things. But the, the thing I like the most about kind of the high fat, low carb keto approach to this type of stuff is you just reduce the number of calories you need per hour mm-hmm. by a, a healthy enough margin that I think you can kind of get away with a little more, uh, ver- a little more, just kind of like random stuff because you're yeah. not trying to jam like 400 calories an hour down your throat where, you know, then you're going to potentially run into stomach issues, digestive situations that, that are going to obviously slow things down, if not completely halt your progress. So, um, it's yeah uh, it's really interesting stuff but yeah it uh,
1: happened last time this time it didn't i didn't have any gi issues which was amazing right mm-hmm. and i think it's because i didn't eat huge large meals before like before i would try and eat as many potatoes as i could and mm-hmm. i just it just didn't work out this time around it was it just like a little handful of food and that's all i could handle and mm-hmm. uh, i never pushed it past that though and so i didn't throw up and no diarrhea which is <laughs>
0: was what i was yeah. hoping for <laughs> well and it is interesting too because like this would maybe be a less of an issue for you at the fueling quantity that you were doing. But one thing I think people don't always recognize is they have all these like, uh, like sports drinks and gel type things that you can take in that are just like incredibly effective in how fast they work. It's almost like it is too fast for your, your body's digestive system to a degree where if you go a little bit beyond what you're capable of, then your body's response to that is to try to slow that down by kind of pulling fluids into your stomach and then you end up with like the diarrhea, the puking, and all that stuff. And uh, so it could be like, well, why did it work for the first sixty miles, and all of a sudden stop? <laughs> yeah. And then you you throw heat into the equation, and those that's when it gets really exciting because like your body's also pulling fluids to try to cool your cool your body, and it's trying to use this, this finite blood volume supply for a variety of different things. And and then you throw another wrench at it, and all of a sudden it's <laughs> like the margin you, you you surpass what your body's able to tolerate. Yeah. Uh, you get the horror
1: stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plus, I was telling myself, I was like, man, if I just could do the pace that Zach does, I would be done before nighttime. And then I wouldn't have to worry about making it through the night. You know, I just finished in under 12 hours and, you know, you don't mm-hmm. have the, the rest of the night to run through.
0: <laughs> well, and that that's also another just interesting kind of thing as well that I think kind of correlates with what you're saying, too, where you need to try to understand how it you got to understand a little bit more with the context of one person to the next too because you know for me even like if i'm going to do a race that's like in the 12 hours or under if the weather's good i can probably get away with almost a pure liquid like nutrition plan i've done it a few times with success but if i'm branching up much past that i need to start thinking about introducing some solid foods and some stuff that's going to Kind of slow down that digestion a little bit, or even even at the relatively low amount of quantities I'm taking it, I could end up getting some digestive issues and things like that. So uh, usually, like my go-to is my my top two fueling options are going to kind of be a very different flavor profile. So maybe something salty, savory on one end, and yeah. maybe something a little more sweet on the other. So when you kind of get uh, sick of one thing, you can kind of rotate to the next and not find yourself unable to tolerate the taste of whatever it is you're eating. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So luckily uh it, for me, I didn't have any, I didn't have that issue this time around. I had definitely had a lot of food just in case and I didn't even eat probably half of it, but
0: I didn't get sick of the food. So that's, that's what I was mostly concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the themes I think we're going to come away with with this episode is just that Drew likes to pick big challenges and, <laughs> uh, and, and go after them regardless of whether you feel like you're equipped about for them or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, uh, I think all this stuff adds up to just what makes you kind of a little bit unique in, in your, your desire to understand, uh, how other people are experiencing things. You have like this, this curiosity of knowing, like, I don't know how this person feels in this situation. I know how I do, but I want to understand how they do. And in order to better do that, I'm going to do this extreme thing that's going to put me in a position where I can better appreciate what they're doing. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by a company named Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs is a company that has created an electrolyte powder that you can mix into your drink. The reason Elemental Labs began developing the product Element is because Rob Wolf noticed that his performance seemed to suffer when he was taking part in one of his favorite activities, jujitsu. And after a little problem solving, he realized that it was an electrolyte situation, specifically sodium. So he wanted to develop a product that gave him all the benefits of the electrolytes without all the additional sugars and fillers that you would find in traditional sports drinks. Element is packed with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, and comes in four flavors of orange salt, citrus salt, raspberry salt, and raw unflavored. So if you would like to up your electrolyte game, head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO, that's drink lmnt.com forward slash h-p-o and place an order all right now back to the show you're doubling down somewhat on 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 an activity that we already talked about why don't you share with us kind of what you have coming in coming down the pipe for uh future projects
1: yeah, so first of all, 2020 has been a crazy year as it is, right? The hundred, I threw the hundred miler in there to make it even crazier, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> I've never done. And on top of that, um, I'm doing something big starting August 27th um, through December 27th. And you know, back when I did Fit to bed Fit the first time, I was 31, so a different metabolism, different time of my life, uh, you know, different hormones, and you know, obviously it was it was very different for me. I turned 40 on December 27th. And so I've been in the works of of actually recreating this experiment, but once again, as a 40-year-old, different hormones, different metabolism, and so I've wanted to revisit again because back in 2011, social media wasn't what it is today. There was Facebook, and that was pretty much it. Twitter was was kind of uh, out there as well, but social media wasn't what it is today. And so people know about what I did. Some people saw maybe the TV shows I was on or something like that, but not a ton of people actually followed it as it was happening. Where nowadays, we have so many platforms to, to show that. I felt like, hey, why not do this again? But let's, let's change it up a little bit. So obviously, you know, I'm turning 40. I'm going to be putting my, my age, my metabolism, my hormones to the test to see if I could redo this again as a 40-year-old. But the other main thing is my message you know, is very different this time around. The first time around, I didn't know what to expect. I've never been overweight a day in my life. This time around, I'm doing it because of very, of a very clear message I want to get across. And you mentioned something about my curiosity to understand where people are coming from. I believe empathy, especially in this year of 2020, is something that, that this world needs more of, not less of, because there's so much division and hate and worry and fear out there. And it's so easy to sit across from a computer screen and judge someone based off of a social media post. And I feel like empathy is one of those things that can bridge that gap where you truly listen to someone to understand them and not judge them or critique them or correct them, which is what I think we have a problem with in our society. And if you look at the health and fitness industry, empathy is something that's not very uh, present in that industry. It's, it's, I feel people who are larger, who, are, who struggle with, with weight loss or transformation or body image issues are labeled as lazy sometimes or, or less than. They're judged um, pretty harshly. Um, and and I think unfairly, especially having done fit to fat to fit the first time. So my message this time is one of empathy, empathy for those that struggle. And so my, my journey of fit to fat to 40, which is what it's called this time around is more of a vehicle to deliver this message and the importance of having empathy in the, in the fitness industry. And then I feel like empathy is something that can be a game changer because we've always been about in the fitness industry, Macros, calories, diets, exercise, weight loss, getting this body, getting that body to look good, so that on the outside society accepts us, so that you know we accept ourselves. And um, my goal, my hope, is to bring empathy first and foremost to the industry by doing this the second time, Um, but then also to give people hope that are in their thirties, forties, fifties plus that just because we're older doesn't mean you can't have your health. And so my goal is to shift people's perception of what success looks like in the health and fitness industry because our perception right now is skewed. It's based off of what we are told success is, which, you know, in the fitness industry, it's about having that perfect body. It's about having, you know, under 10% body fat or being skinny. And if you're not, then you're kind of, you know, labeled as as this or that, which is unfair in my opinion because I feel like people can be healthy at all different sizes And, um, and so my goal is to help shift people's perception of that by doing this again a second time. So the details of the journey are August 27th is the data is the day I start this journey. Um, and I'll go through December 27th where I'll be gaining weight. Now the weight gain phase is going to be different than last time. This time around, I have a film crew documenting everything. Uh, I have a doctor on board to monitor my blood work. I just did my baseline blood work with my doctor today just to make sure, you know, my starting point is very healthy from a medical perspective. And then throughout the journey, I'll be doing more blood work to kind of show my progress as I, as I live this unhealthy lifestyle. But the other cool, unique thing I'm doing that I didn't do last time is I'm gonna actually be exposing uh, four popular fad diets that um, you know people make mistakes on and people can do in an unhealthy way. So I'll be doing paleo, keto, vegan, and vegetarian, but showing all the pitfalls and mistakes that people make when they do these diets. Because sometimes people think, well, if I do this diet, then I'm gonna be automatically healthy and I'll lose weight, you know? And there's a right way and a wrong way to do these diets. And I've seen it. I'm a big proponent of keto, but I see a lot of mistakes that people make on keto and people end up gaining weight and actually losing their health. And I see it all the time. And so I want to show people that side of it. So when I gain the weight uh, for one of the phases, I will be doing these diets and I'll be doing blood work before and after to show people that these diets can be unhealthy if done the wrong way. And then on the journey back to fit come January 4th, of 2021, that first Monday, we're all gonna do this journey back to fit together. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that, uh, even listening to this podcast, that might be struggling with their health. And I know that 2020 has been such a hard year for so many people. My message is like, hey, I'm overweight too. I'm unhealthy too. I'll hold your hand. Let's do this journey together. Here's exactly what I'm gonna be eating. Here's exactly my workouts. Here's exactly how to do it. Here's the mindset, tips, tricks, and hacks that I do that'll help you on the mental and emotional side. And then I'll also be revisiting those diets that I talked about and educating people on how to do them the right way so that they can have a roadmap of, let's say they want to be vegan, or let's say they want to be keto or paleo or vegetarian. Here's a roadmap of how to do it the right way. So that's kind of my messaging. That's kind of the details of the journey in a nutshell. And, um, uh, you know, I've done this once before, but it's been almost 10 years. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of good to be humbled every once in a while and to, you know, check your ego. And like I said, come off my mountain for a little bit to gain a new perspective, to empathize with people, better understand them. And then I can better help people
0: in that, uh, through that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just so much potential with that type of a thing. Cause it's like, yeah. I, I feel like you're almost, you're almost doing something where like I, if I were like, if I were a research scientist or something in health and nutrition I would want to do a case study on you because like essentially you're taking on a scenario that would be, would never get past the ethical boards if they were going to do this study. Like they want to design (laughs) a study around like, you know, a group of people where we're going to have them gain 40 pounds and then lose it. You know, they just wouldn't even get off the ground for the most part, but like you could highlight so many different, um, so many different potential, like with the way you have it set up to kind of ultimately show folks, like you said, there's a right way and a wrong way to basically do any type of diet or nutrition program. And maybe what works well for you isn't as going to be, isn't necessarily going to work well for somebody else, but you've got those four different arms in there. So people can kind of like gravitate to what they feel is going to be most sustainable for them or that they're most interested in. And I mean, just hearing you kind of describe it, makes me feel like I need to gain forty pounds to play along. It sounds like a fun game that you've really got going on. Yeah. Maybe maybe if you stop the running for like a you know, a year,
1: gain forty pounds of fat and then then start from there and then you know train for an ultra marathon. Like uh, you know, obviously that's very extreme. But I, I totally get what you're talking about. Um, and you know the goal this time around is to make it a lot more educational, inspirational. I'm actually gonna have a CGM device as well, kind of tracking mm-hmm. that data I'll be tracking my body fat percentage throughout as well, my ketone levels too. Um, all kinds of data. The more data in my whoop, my sleep, I'll be tracking my sleep this time around. There's so much more technology nowadays to sh- to show it from a, you know, like a scientific uh, r- research perspective of what's happening mm-hmm. as I do this journey. But at the end of the day, you know, like I said my my message is is one of empathy and I feel like this is something that's kind of extreme, but sometimes it takes something crazy to catch people's attention because I know people are going to want to watch this like a, like a train wreck, you know, it's like, you can't not watch it, you know, <laughs> especially as I gain the weight. Um, and, uh, but then from there, hopefully people will consume my content and, and hear my message. And and that's where I think we can really make some changes in an industry that I think needs change. You know, I think there's, there's room for improvement for sure. It's, it's an industry that's uh, kind of based on vanity and, and looks and, and, you know, there is some judgment there for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, ultimately what you're going to show, I think is a lot of, a lot of just like, well, this is what it's like to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And the more we can kind of put ourselves into that mindset and think about that before we say something and before we act, especially on social media, the better we can become as just a group in general. And it's almost like, uh, obviously you wouldn't want to use as extreme of a version that you're doing, but it'd be something like my, like former teaching brain is like, running for like, how would you develop a curriculum like this, that you could essentially teach kids where, you know, you spend a, you spend time like kind of trying to understand how someone else feels based on their circumstances or something they're struggling with versus where your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think it's just a, such a cool, I, cool idea. And then the other side of it too, that I think is really interesting too is like, what can we learn or add to what we already know about just like health benefits and health regressions from, just purely weight gain and weight loss mm-hmm. since since you are targeting four different kind of nutritional strategies like we could see like oh some of these benefits that we're attributing to x diet is actually contributed to just you know getting down to a healthy weight loss if you look at kind of your trajectory through this i mean obviously it's an end of one kind of case study but yeah um i think there's just a lot of potential value out of the, the more data you can collect from this from this journey better <laughs> um, yeah
1: I agree. And that's, that's the goal is, you know, that's why I have a a team in place this time around back when I did in 2011, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of like documenting what I could, but this time around, like I said, I have a a film crew. I have a a PR team to help me make more of an impact. And plus we have social media, all the social media platforms where people I can live stream a lot of it. We put up on YouTube on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, all the platforms to really, you know, hit, hit the masses to, to put out there as much education as possible. And I think, um, you know, uh, what you're saying about, um, uh, you know, from a, a weight loss, weight gain perspective, um, you know, there, there is a lot of data that I think that can be used. Oh, and then also the curriculum thing. That's definitely something that I, I have been working on and putting into place because you know, we have the TV show where we put other trainers through this process to kind of teach them empathy. And that'd be awesome. If every trainer could go through this, you know, to understand what it's like to be overweight for a short period of time, so they could be more empathetic and, and better relate to their clients. But obviously, that's not, that's not doable. Every trainer can't do that or dedicate a year of their life to gaining and losing weight. Um, and it's actually, actually something I've been working on. I use a lot of the work by Brené Brown, she talks a lot about empathy and And I think if we could kind of take her world, which is more in the personal development, self-help arena, but also apply it to fitness, then I feel like it's more of a complete transformation, right? It's more of a a holistic uh, transformation instead of like, hey, you'll lose weight, but I promise you that's not your end goal. Because if you think your end goal is just to get this body and then you're done, I promise you it's not as fulfilling as you think it is. You know, a lot of people think if once I get this body, all my problems will go away. And that's just not true. It's just, it's a myth. Kind of like same thing with money. Like once I, Mm -hmm. once I, you know, achieve this, then I'll be happy, you know, and it's about, it's about uh, learning to uh, be fulfilled now where you're at while you're, you know, working towards a goal, you know, like for example, within your world of ultra endurance, like, you know, to break a record is awesome and amazing. But if you stop there, then the work after that isn't as fulfilling. There's got to be something beyond that, that Brings fulfillment and enjoyment to you other than okay, I broke the record it 's like all right, now what do I do? you know there 's so many other ways to to be fulfilled along that journey, and it 's not always about the results it 's not always about that it 's about you know becoming a different version of yourself and and surprising yourself sometimes of how hard uh, you can push yourself and what you can do with your body and your mind. Uh, pushing yourself past those self-limiting beliefs. I know David Goggins talks uh, about this a lot in his book of, you know, asking yourself, and then what, you know, it's cool to have a goal, but then what, (laughs) you know, because if you just reach that goal, a lot of people do with their weight loss, then they gain the weight back because they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I, I, I achieved my goal, but there's always gotta be something after that, that you, you, you should be chasing for, which kind of gives you purpose in life. And so you know, it's, it's a unique approach to health and fitness. It's more of a holistic approach, a complete approach, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, I think sometimes some people get too focused on the physical aspect of it, and then that's where people kind of fall off, like we talked about earlier in the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's that's so perfect because one thing I've been trying to like convey a little more with my own messaging around ultramarathon running and training with folks, when especially people who are new to the sport or yeah. are – or like kind of at a point where they don't really know what direction to take within it is that you should be able to, and you're a perfect example of this. You should be able to go through a full training plan and have a bad race and still look back and say, okay, I really am still glad I did that because the amount of lessons I learned along the way, what I learned about myself in terms of achieving goals, hitting benchmarks and things throughout the training process should be just as fulfilling and exciting as the race itself. Um, and if you kind of go in with that mindset, you're going to find, I think the, the sport or whatever it is you're doing just a lot more sustainable. Cause you're just, you know, you're more, you're more in, into the process. You're actually enjoying it. And I think when you frame it like that, you can kind of tease out sometimes like where like scenarios where like answering that question of why are you doing this in the first place? So, you know, like you have someone who wants to run, run a hundred miles and, you know, the, the next question is, well, why do you want to run a hundred miles? And if, if the answer is like not necessarily out of enjoyment or curiosity, then you may, there's plenty of ways to, the way I described there's plenty of ways to move your body. So you may as well pick one that you enjoy. So if you're going to hate the 16 weeks or the 24 weeks preparing for this race, then maybe let's, let's pick a different activity that you're going to actually have fun with and and, and get the best of both worlds versus just one of them and find yourself in that position you talked about where you reach that objective and then I have to ask, well, well, what's now? And uh, I think that's, that's a pretty powerful message. Um, And the other thing that I think the, I don't want to lose track of this because you mentioned something before that I thought was really interesting where you're just talking about just empathy and understanding someone's situation or like if someone is overweight uh, you know, the the kind of like trigger mindset is, oh, this person doesn't care about their health, they don't take care of themselves, they must eat junk food, they must neglect exercise, or they're lazy, like that mindset. Yeah. I think it's just so much harder. If that is the, the, the struggle that you're with, if you're someone who is struggling with weight, because I think when I think of some of the stuff I struggle with, they're easy enough to hide, you know, so like, yeah. if I want to work on improving myself, I can do it in my own privacy. Yeah. But if I were struggling with obesity, I'd have to try to solve that problem. And I'd have a big essentially poster above me everywhere. I went in public saying I struggle with obesity because it's just, you know, it's there, it's on you, you wear it. And that adds such a different, I think, psychological, emotional, like angle to that challenge versus maybe what a lot of other challenges that people could face are. And, and uh, you know, I think what you're doing is, is showing people that, you know, you can, there there is reason to try to empathize and, and be in that other person's shoes and experience what they're doing to, to, to really fully understand some of those maybe like less than easy to understand from the outside type of perspectives
1: yeah but to your point too i like, think it's really important in these times especially 2020 to to have empathy for someone that you might not see their struggles but everyone has some type of a struggle some of them you can see and some of them you can't And that's why it's important to be kind to everyone, right? That's what they say, you know, like, you know, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone you meet is going through some kind of struggle. And that's just true. And some people can see other people's struggles and it's easy to point fingers and judge. Uh, But I think, you know, especially in these times, empathy is needed more in 2020 than ever has been in, in, in my lifetime, at least. And so that's kind of what my messaging is with this experiment and what I'm doing, but it's a vehicle to get that message across. And um, my hope is that people will consume it and see it for that. Yes, it's going to be entertaining. You know, I'm going to do a food challenge, um, like once a week to keep people entertained. People love that part of it, but, um, you know, ultimately it does come down to the message. Um, I know we're running out of time, but I was, um, I'm curious to know for you, Zach, like what's what's the most calories you've eaten in a day? Like, have you, <laughs> have you tracked like, you know, a
0: calorie intake before of like, I need to eat 10,000 calories today. <laughs> sure. You, you know what the, the funny thing about that is the, the, the truth is probably I did a, I actually did a pizza eating contest back when I was in college. Yeah. And the, the challenge was uh, you and a partner were supposed to try to together consume 12 pounds worth of pizza oh, within an God. hour's range. So like if it was a 50, 50 split, it ended to be like six pounds each. Yeah. And I ate right up at just about six pounds of pizza in probably like, you know, 58, 59 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And I would imagine that was the most calories I've taken in. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, everyone <laughs> wow. assumes, everyone assumes it's going to be like on a hundred mile race day or something like that. But no, my, my calorie intake is actually relatively, not, I wouldn't say relatively low, but relatively low compared to what you would imagine. Cause like you said, like you burnt something like 14,000 calories when you ran yeah. hundred miles you know, I'm probably burning somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,000 calories or so on a day like that. So, you know, I might take in a couple thousand calories during the race and at most a couple thousand after, and then I'm going to try to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, I might only consume like 5,000 calories on a hundred mile race day, but then those three or four days afterwards, I'll just like overeat at a pretty aggressive rate. So I, I, you know, I, I should try to figure out uh, and maybe maybe you can ballpark this, like how many calories are in six pounds of uh, like cheese and sausage pizza? <laughs> pizza.
1: <laughs> I'm sure we can Google it. We'll, we'll find out. Is that's probably man? I would say in the ten thousand calorie range at least. But mm-hmm. I, I, that's the thing is I, I don't know. Like right now, I eat around three thousand calories. I'm gonna bump it up to around five thousand. Eating processed foods is kind of easy to fit in five thousand calories. I know we're just kind of switching topics here, but five thousand calories it's a little bit easier when you're eating processed foods because you don't really feel full for very long. Like I mm-hmm. can eat a whole bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and an hour later just absolutely starving, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, and I'll be tracking all that macros, calories, all the data I can. So, um, yeah, if, if, if anyone wants to follow along, it's fit to fat to 40.com or just follow me at fit to fat to fit on all my social media handles. If you guys want to track the progress over the next, over the next four months um and then we'll see we'll see if I, I have another ultra marathon in me later on i um i wouldn't say i hated it but it's definitely not like my strength but it's cool to be able to say i did it because i when you were talking that earlier about enjoying it as it's happening instead of hating it there was times where i was like man i just ran for four hours straight that felt amazing to be able to do that because you know running for five minutes. Sometimes when I'm not in running shape, I'm huffing and puffing. I don't like that feeling, but to be able to run for four hours and and feel confident and good is an awesome feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. But I did have to sacrifice some muscle mass and lifting super heavy like I did before, but that feels cool too. But so does this. And so it's cool to kind of bounce around and, and see what your body is capable of. But if you always just stay in your lane and never do anything outside of that, like you'll never know. And so that's kind of my message too, of doing the hundred milers, like, man, what else can I do? What else can you do, you know, out there listening, it, you know, maybe you can stay in your lane and that feels good to you, but maybe you're curious to see what else you can pull off. And, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm it feels cool to be able to say, I ran a hundred miles in under 24 hours, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would recommend doing an event, uh, that has the temperature at around 60 degrees. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know I need to find somewhere <laughs> that's not so
1: hot. Well, the problem was because of COVID. We had to push it back. It was supposed to be in April in California, right along the beach. We had it all planned out. And then COVID happened and then got postponed and then you couldn't travel to California. So I was like, well, I'll just do it here in Utah. And I just found like a five-mile loop and luckily put it together and it worked out. But yeah, it was not the ideal <laughs> location. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you fit right in with ultra runners where we tend to kind of be a little bit of a MacGyver in the sense that you're running that long and you have all these different situations, you're probably going to run into something you didn't expect or have to problem solve somewhere along the way. And if you can kind of push through that and move forward thinking versus loathing on the thing that happened that you wished you could have prevented, then you you usually tend to do better. So, um, yeah, that's great. But yeah, Yeah, Drew, I want to, I'd want to thank you for taking some time out of your day and coming on the show. I know you stay busy and you're just going to get busier in these next few months. I think as people follow along and tune into your journey and I know I'll be following along. I know you shared some of your links and stuff. If there's anywhere else you want to direct folks to come check out what you're at, please feel free to share that stuff now and I can definitely tag it in the show notes. Yeah, it's just fit2fat240.com to to is the actual website where you
1: can track the data. But if you follow me at fit2fat2fit to to fit on all my social media handles, that's what the number two. Uh, you'll see updates throughout the journey as well. Um, but also, Zach just want to say thank you for the inspiration, for the knowledge. Like you were a huge inspiration for me to to get out there and do it. You know, a second time. So I just want to say uh, super appreciative of of what you do, and and you know, I know you inspire a lot of people too. So thank you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No, it, uh, it means a lot to know that, uh, that I was a part of that and yeah, man. it was cool to, to follow along and, um, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. And I also I'll thank you one more time for coming on my, my treadmill, uh, uh, YouTube stream. That was, back awesome, in man. May. <laughs> that was awesome. It
1: was painful to watch you do that on a treadmill, but you did it, man. Congrats. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks a
0: bunch, Drew. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. See you. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.